curveballed it and said, no, this is what you're preaching. So Joshua chapter number 24, Joshua chapter number 24 and verse number one. If you find that, you'll stand with me. Amen. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges, for their offices, officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Now come with me over to verse number 15. Verse number 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This evening I'd like to preach on this thought. Choose. Choose tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. We've prayed many times already, but you said my house will be called a house of prayer. God, I pray this evening that you lift up a preaching of your word. Again, hide me behind your cross. Get me out of your way. Speak to this thy people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Joshua chapter number 24 comes in at the end of a book that uh, lasted for roughly about 20 to 23 years. And the people of Israel now have been in the promised land. Um, they made it, all right? 23 years before, they, we know that they were brought out of the land of Egypt and they wandered around in the wilderness for, for 40 years. But here at the end of the book of Joshua, where we're reading, where he calls this meeting together, uh, they had been in the promised land. They had arrived. They had become settled in. Each of the tribes had their areas. They had fought battles. They had won battles. They had seen God do miracles in their lives. They had seen God drive enemies out from before them. And they had become comfortable in the land of Israel. And Joshua, their leader, knew that his death uh, was going to be imminent. And he was getting old. He was roughly 110 years old when he died. Um, So when Joshua kind of felt this and he knew this, and he knew that this was the ending of, of his leadership strategy, of his leadership era, of his time being the leader or the captain of the people of Israel, he calls this meeting, he calls this... Uh, time here, and it's important to understand that this would be his final message for the people of Israel. This would be his final charge before he would pass off the scene, and he would know that the time would come where they would no longer have him, and they would no longer have a leader. They would no longer have someone to go between them and God. We know that not too long after this, we get to the book of Judges where there was no king, and there was no main leader, and everybody kind of just did what they wanted to do, and Joshua knew that it was critical that as he wound to a close, as his life began to end, that he must address the people of Israel and he must give them this final message. And that's the message we're going to preach here tonight. And it's the message of choosing, of making a decision, of making a choice. First thing I want us to notice by introduction tonight is the place that this meeting was held. It's very important to understand this. And Joshua gathered in verse 1, all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. All right. Shechem was a very key place. Uh, why? Because it was the perfect place. It was nestled between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and, and it created what would be known as today a natural amphitheater. I mean, you've known, maybe been to the Grand Canyon or been out west or been in these great mountain ranges, and Bradley and Addie love 
to play the echo game where they like, if they find anywhere where there's an echo and they yell and they holler and it echoes back to them three and four times. They love that sound effect where he called them there in the place of Shechem was a point in the valley where you had both of those mountain faces facing into where Joshua would have been standing. And he could have addressed a large, large number of people all at once. This wasn't just Joshua kind of scribbling something down on a sticky note and putting it over here on the side so maybe somebody would find it one day. This wasn't Joshua sending a text message. This wasn't Joshua, uh, you know, maybe telling two or three people and saying, spread the word. No, this was Joshua addressing the entire nation of Israel and bringing them to the place where he made sure that all of them could hear what he would say. And it was geographically located in a place where all 12 tribes would be represented, would be able to make it there uh, with relative ease, where they wouldn't have an excuse to miss the message, where they would have an opportunity to come. And it was in a central location. It was in a, a good sounding location. And he called all the 12 tribes of the Israel, but not just the place that he called there, but the people that he called there. Look at verse one, uh, one again in the second half. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. The people that he called there, he didn't call just anybody. He didn't call just everybody. He called, first of all, the elders. If you go into the Hebrew, you get the word uh, zakin, and if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And that simply means old people. Okay, He called the elders. He called the ones who had a little bit of life experience with them. He called some of the ones that saw some of the mistakes that were made in the wilderness. He called some of the ones that saw some of the mistakes that were made in the early years of the promised land. He called some people with some age and some experience. Tonight, as we are on a Sunday night crowd, we have some of the devoted. We have some people that have some experience in the Christian walk. We have some people here tonight that have lived a lot of life, that have had a lot of experiences, that have seen God bless and seen God take away that have seen good times that have seen bad times as Joshua was gathering. I want you to go back with me as Joshua was gathering this crowd of people together. He wanted to make sure the old people were there. The elders were there, the ones who had lived a lot of life, who had a lot of wisdom, who knew what was going on. Not only that, but the heads that was a leader within a tribe, a leader within a tribe. It would have been somebody in the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, the, uh, of those 12 tribes. You know how we do, you know how we humans do. We've got to, somebody's got to be in charge of every little thing. So we've got to, we've got to come up with a leader of this and a leader of that. And within the tribes of Israel, you would have heads over different things. You would have heads of the military st- side of things, or you would have heads of uh, the building side of things. You would have heads of the, the agricultural side of things, making sure people had food. And you would have different leaders within the tribe of Israel, and that's another group of people that he called. Next, you'll see the word judges. The judges were the lawgivers. Okay, they were the ones that took the law that had been given to Moses. They were the ones that made sure that in the communities of the tribes of Israel, that the laws that had been given to Moses, that had been pinned down by Moses and Aaron, and their Men were being followed by the people of Israel. They would have been the ones to consult when there was a dispute between two Israelis, between two children of God. When there was a disagreement or there was a misunderstanding about what the law meant, it would be the judges that would kind of make those uh, truths be known. Lastly, you'll see the words officers. All right. That was a scribe. That was a writer. That was somebody that had the gift and that was talented. That when Joshua spoke, there would be somebody there, not that just had influence as a leader, like some of the other positions we just 
listed, not would understand, not that would just understand the context of it in the law, but that would be able to write it down, that would be able to publish it, that would be able to make sure what Joshua was about to say would be pinned down. And we know they did a good job because here we stand in 2022 and we're about to read the words that Joshua said there in Shechem. We're about to read the words that Joshua presented to the people. So that's who's there. That's who's there. Joshua didn't just call anybody. He called a very specific group of people, those older people, those leaders within the tribes, those lawgivers, those law keepers, those governors, those judges. And lastly, those officers, those scribes, those writers, those journalists, those ones that would be able to publish what would be said. These were the leaders and influences that Joshua, as he's about to preach his final message, wants to make sure hears. Okay, a lot of times when. We have a vision or we have an ambition or we have a drive or a burden to do something for God. We often look to the younger generation. We often look to the young people of the church and say, well, this is what we're supposed to do. So young people go out there and do it. But Joshua, when he saw a task that needed to be met, when he saw a decision that was going to need to be made, he did not look at the younger generation. He did not look at the one that was up and coming. He looked at the older generation. He looked at the leaders. He looked at the ones who knew a few things about God and knew a few things about life. And he knew that if he was going to reach generation after generation after generation that would follow him, he was going to have to preach this last message with everything he had to the older generation, to the ones that would be teaching and instructing after he passed off the scene. That's the place. That's the people. Lastly, that's the the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message. Notice, first of all, the past had an impact. And Joshua said in verse 2, Unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Here we see presented for the first time in Scripture chronologically that Abraham came from a land, came from a people that served idols, that had pagan rituals, that had pagan gods. And Joshua wants to remind him here, hey, before Abraham was, before God called Abraham, even back on the other side of the flood, before uh, Abraham was chosen to be the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham's lineage, Abraham's ancestry wasn't that of one that served God. That was a time of complete and total apostasy. We know that after the flood, people kind of came back together and they started building a tower called the Tower of Babel, remember? So they start trying to build a tower that could reach up and touch heaven and they could be up there and be like God. God knew that this was once again pride of man's heart and he comes down and he scatters the tongues at that time. He comes down and he confounds the languages, the Bible says. And all of a sudden, these people that were working together, these people that were uh, sharing ambition to do something together, all of a sudden they could no longer understand each other. And the ones that could understand each other begin to form people groups. And now that's how you see people move to areas where they could understand each other and they would form people groups groups and they would form uh, uh, go to different parts of the world and I found this interesting because Joshua was reminding them hey your fathers your ancestors came from the people that were there at the Tower of Babel and as they began to group themselves together they began to grow and serve idols they knew where they had come from they had a knowledge of the one true god that's who they were trying to build a tower to that's who they were trying to be like that's who they were trying to equate themselves with but when that god passed judgment on them and created a, a space where they were to go and group together in their own languages and their own peoples they had the knowledge of the one true living god but we know as people we get a little bit bitter at them 
Okay? We get a little bit angry when God tells us that we're wrong and we shouldn't be doing. So they begin to form idols over here and idols over here and idols over here. And uh, J. Vernon McGee said it like this. He said he found it interesting that no matter where you go in the world, no matter what island you land on or no matter what village you hike to or no matter what part of the world... There is an ancestry that knows that there is a creator God that created everything and we are separated from Him by our sins. There's a, there's a head knowledge that we came from the same place, that there was one creator that created everything, but down throughout human history, the more humanity gets involved, they begin to go to idolatry and they begin to create a little sun God and create a little moon God and create a little crop God and create a little uh, fire God and create a little healing God and create a little this and create a little that. And before you know it, they've come to a place where they're in full-blown idolatry. Joshua's reminding them here, your ancestry, who you came from before Abraham was an ancestry and a livelihood of paganism, of idolatry. And there's going to always be a temptation to go back to that. There's always going to be a temptation to forsake God, to stop following the one that has brought you this far and go back and serve those idols. The present isn't permanent. God reminded them in verse Three, he says, And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt, and I sent Moses also and Aaron. And I plagued Egypt according to that which did among you, did among them. And afterward I brought you out, and I brought you, your fathers, out of Egypt. And ye came into the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen into the Red Sea. Look over at verse number 13 is to summarize it. God says, And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities that you did not build, and ye dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which ye painted not planted, not do ye eat. He said, everything you have, Joshua's reminding them, God through Joshua's reminding them, everything you have, everywhere you've come from, everything you're currently enjoying, all the pleasures, all the comforts, all the pleasantries, every single blessing in your life came from me. Came from me. He said the past may have an impact on you and the present is not permanent. What you have to realize is that children of Israel, Joshua is coming at him and he's saying, listen, what you have now, you did nothing for. So you have to understand that it is not you that can keep it. That it is not you that has the ability to retain it. It was God who gave you what you have. It was God who has brought you this far. And you're going to have to make a decision to understand that if you're going to f- serve God and you're going to follow God, that it will be that that causes you to be blessed and to be able to live here and to be able to have what you have. It won't be anything that you can do. The present, what you have in this current state is not guaranteed. The blessings in my life, the blessings in your life, what you have now is not guaranteed for eternity. That is why it is so important that we don't put our faith and our trust in the things of this world and the possessions of this world and the things that he has. My family could be taken away. My home could be taken away. My possessions could be taken away. My job could be taken away. My finances could be taken away. And we have to understand that what Joshua's trying to get across to them here is saying, you did nothing to earn what you have. You did nothing to inherit what God has given you. You're going to have to have faith and trust and serve the Lord that has brought you this far. The place, the people, and the purpose. He's charging them here and reminding them, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Follow Him. 
Don't fall back into the land of idolatry. Don't fall back into the little g-gods of this world. And you would think that that would be an easy decision for somebody who walked through the Red Sea on dry land to make. Right? Somebody who was completely and totally in a doomed scenario and had no hope of escape and had no hope of salvation and had no hope of being forgiven or being brought out walks through that Red Sea on dry land and is given safe passage to the other side. There's no way that they could possibly look at the God who did that for them and then go back on the next day and turn and decide to follow idols. There's no way that could happen, could it? But we see time after time after time in 2022 Christians who were on one side of the Red Sea, who were doomed in despair in their sin, who had no hope, had no hope for eternity, had no hope for salvation, had no hope to gain closeness with God, be saved, be gloriously saved, be brought to a place where they make a decision to follow Christ and they make a decision to place their faith and trust in the cross of Calvary and they wake up the next day and they start living for God and they start acting for God. But then a week later, a month later, a year later, later, they grow cold and they make the decision to start chasing after some of those little G-gods instead of the God who saved them. We see the message here of Joshua was not just re- re- excuse me, relevant for Israel, but it was relevant for you and for me. That the same God that brought them through the Red Sea, the same God that brought them into the Promised Land, is the same God that delivered you. He's the same God that delivered me. He's the same God that came to where we were when we could not go to where He was. And He saved us. He came to us. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. He does that for you and He does that for me. But it's important to hear the message of Joshua tonight and think of this thing of choosing. Think of this thing of choosing. I love that Christianity is the only religion, it's the only faith in the entire world that it says God gave. God gave. He gave you a choice. He gave you an alternative. You do not have to remain in your sins. You don't have to remain the way you are, the way you were. You can be how he created you to be in fellowship and communion with him. And he gave you and he gave me. He gave Adam and he gave Eve free will, the freedom to choose. You see, because we don't serve a God who wants our will. He doesn't want to will us around and control us and make sure he micromanages us and keeps us in his, in our little boxes and make sure we're doing everything he has for us to do. No, he wants people to follow him that choose to follow him. We're the only faith in the world that believes in a God like that. Why? Because it's the real God. It's the one God. It's the true God. It's the God who created Adam and Eve. It's the God who created you and created me. He brought us to the place and He brings us to the place every day where we choose whether we're going to follow Him or not. And Joshua starts talking about this thing of choice. Look at verse 14 with me. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him. In sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye now dwell. But as for me, here he breaks down the choice. But as for me, first of all, it's a perspective choice. Look at this. We will. Serve the Lord. You see, Joshua wasn't making a decision for that day and behind. He wasn't to make a decision for the present. He was making a decision for the future. Joshua understood that serving God is not something you decide to do one time. 
Serving God, following the Lord, is something you have to make the conscious decision to do each and every day. Sometimes each and every moment of each and every day. There's times where there's a dozen donuts or one donut. You have to choose, right? There's times but when, there, when there is a drive through okay, or a kitchen, and you have to choose, okay? There are times where you have to make choices of, am I going to do it God's way? There's a time when there is right, and there's a, t- a right way, and there's a time when there's a wrong way. There's a time when there's a righteous way, and a time where there's a sinful way. There's a time where there's a spiritual way, and a time when there's a fleshly way. Joshua knew that you would have to make this choice in the future tense, that this choice that you would have to make to follow and to serve God and to lead Israel, by example, that would be a decision you would have to make prospectively in the future tense that I will serve God in the day in the next day when you wake up, I will serve God in the next day when you wake up, I will serve God because a lot of us forget and a lot of us get to the point in our lives where we did serve God and we used to serve God. But I love how Joshua puts it here. I will Serve the Lord. Getting up in the morning, no matter what comes my way this day, I will serve the Lord. No matter how bad Starbucks mixed up my order, I will serve the Lord. When the Chick-fil-A line takes longer than 32 seconds, I will serve the Lord. All right. When your boss comes in and chews you out for something you didn't do, I will serve the Lord. It's a perspective choice. Secondly, it's a personal choice. As for me, Joshua said, Here he comes to a people that have followed him, that have respected him, Moses before him, that followed Jacob and Isaac, that followed Abraham, that that have followed all these great men. He's saying, listen, folks, it's my decision to serve the Lord for me. It's your decision to serve the Lord for you. We think that's a simple truth. Yet we think because we were in our pews on Sunday that we've served the Lord that week and we haven't done anything for Him on a personal level. We like to lump ourselves in. Well, I was at church. Well, I, was, I texted the pastor. Or I, I said, I didn't serve the Lord, but I associated myself with somebody that was serving the Lord. Israel's were, the Hebrews, the <clears throat> Jews, were absolute professionals at this. They knew that if they could be at place at Passover and they could be at place at synagogue and they could be there for all the sacraments and all the things that they would do and all the, the rituals and all they knew that if they could check their little spiritual boxes that they would get counted as being there, getting counted as worthy. You know, that person that is in your group project in science class and they didn't do anything. They did nothing. And you and maybe one other person uh, in the group of three, you worked hard and you studied and you get up and you give the presentation. But there's that one guy that's there. You, I, I was that guy most of the time. There's that one guy that was there that he didn't do nothing. He didn't study. He didn't work. He didn't help. He didn't glue anything down. He didn't cut anything out. But when you gave your presentation, he got the same grade you did. Joshua said, it's not that kind of choice. It's not that kind of choice. Serving God. Praise God. Thank you. Our God is not a God of participation trophies. Anybody that's ever been in Anchor of Hope Youth Group knows that I always say Anchor of Hope is not a participation trophy church. Our God's not the God of participation trophies. Our God rewards those based on how they serve them. That doesn't mean one's better than the other. Everyone's different. God made you different. But it's a personal choice. It's a choice you have to make. Joshua said, when I'm long gone, Israel, you're going to have to choose to serve the Lord. 
Church, when I'm long gone, you're going to have to choose to serve the Lord. Before anybody makes a choice, they need to understand the why behind the choice. I've learned this. I used to be that person that told, you're just going to do this. Why? Let me hear it. Because I... Okay. That's not God's way. Okay. It's His way because He's the only one that can do that. Okay. But He he can do that. Because He said so. He's God. He's the Creator. He's the sovereign author of the universe. He's the author of salvation. He's the bright and morning star. He's died for you and me. He gets to make those kind of calls. You and I are not Him. Joshua said... You need to understand the why behind serving God. You see, Joshua would have been, I've got it wrote down here, would have been about 47 years old when he left Egypt. Because we know he died at 110, and then we know the year he died, and we can go backwards from there and won't bog you down with that. But he knew what it was like to be a slave. He knew what it was like to go and be numbered among slaves, to be someone who his opinion didn't matter. What he wanted to do didn't matter. He was a slave in Egypt. He was somebody that was nobody. Then, another thing about Joshua that you need to know is that, best we can tell, he was the oldest son. Who died that night of the Passover if they didn't sprinkle the blood post? The oldest son. Joshua said, you don't understand why I serve the Lord, but let me tell you about my why. Because I was a slave to sin. I was a slave in Egypt. I was in bonds. I had no free will of my own. I served my master, the Egyptians. Not only that, but I was destined for death. I was the firstborn, and God sent the death angel into, Jesus, into Egypt to kill me and kill all those like me. But there was this lamb that laid down his life for me. There was this blood that was sprinkled on the doorpost for me. There was this salvation that I couldn't do anything about, that I couldn't do anything to earn. There was this gift. There was this grace. There was this parting of the Red Sea. My why is because the God of heaven, the God I serve, saved me. That's the only why you need. I've had to kick the counter over at Bass Pro Shops. I'm sitting there at the parts counter and our little detailer, his name's New Ethan. He doesn't get to be Ethan because we already had an Ethan before him that quit and then he's the new Ethan. So his name is New Ethan. I made him a name tag that says New Ethan. Everyone in, everyone in my department or youth ministry is going to have identity crises. I'd give them nicknames and never call them their name again. It's just something I do. But New Ethan, he's a young Christian, and he goes to another church, and he asks me, he goes, you know, i got to ask you something. He, this is, he's so funny. i ask you a serious question. I said, all right, New Ethan, what's your question? He says, don't, don't judge me for this. So go ahead. Where do you get the motivation to just keep going to church? How honest is that? Some of us go, hmm, mm-mm. No, we've been there. We've been there. How do you get the motivation to just go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night? I said, what about Wednesday? He said, Phew. And I about had a spell. But then I got to thinking, I've been where he's sitting. I've been where he's sitting. And all the words that I wanted to say just left Thank the Lord. But I said, the best way I can put it is just because when I put in perspective what Christ did for me, going to church ain't that big a deal. Going to church ought to be the least, the first step of what I do to repay what he did for me. And he went, never really thought about it like that. I said, thank you, Lord. Because if I'd have said what I wanted to say, 
He probably wouldn't have got as much out of it as if I just said what God laid on my heart. It's a personal choice to serve the Lord. Lastly, and we'll close. I know, am I all right? We've got about five minutes. It's a paternal choice. As for me, we're good with that. Here it comes, Dad. And my house. How many have heard rumors about preacher's kids? Okay. Okay. I got two of them. They're great. I used to be the kid that couldn't stand the preacher's kids when I went to Awana Clubs. I used to look down my nose and say, they're the preacher's kids. They ought to be nicer to me. They ought to act better than that. They ought to not talk about each other. They're the preacher's kids. God probably looking down in his sovereignty, looked into eternity and went, (laughs) give you an example of what it's like to have preacher's kids. The other day, we're working with Bradley in potty training. He's potty trained. He knows what to do, but as another preacher that's already heard this story and already told it in the pulpit, he beat me to it. Down the road over here at Bible Way, brother is still, he said, Bradley still struggles with the paperwork. Okay, you get me? Okay. He's got, he's got number one down, he's got number two down, but the paperwork involved, number two, he's got to work. Yeah, there you go, Miss Tina. There it is. All right. All right. So when he gets to that point of the process, he has to say, Mama! Y'all, mamas, y'all know, I'm ready. Okay. Well, Addie, okay, she's got mama's attention. And she says, mama, preacher's kids, mama, just tell him to ask God to help him. (laughs) So mama says, that's a good idea. Preacher's wives, Bradley, ask God to help you. Preacher's kids, mama, God lives in my heart, not my butt. Okay. Okay. As for me, I can do that. And my house. Okay. And my house. I got a choice to make. I got a choice to make. Am I going to live a life so that they'll serve the Lord? Because... We, we know, me and God are tight, all right? I know I can mess up, and God's going to forgive me, okay? I know I can falter, I can fail, and God's going to forgive. I can say, Lord, you knew I was going to do it. I'm sorry, I repent. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I'll do my best not to do it again. And, and we're good with that. We, we can mutual that relationship. But when something I do may affect the testimony of my children because they may do it, now we're in a different ballgame. Joshua says, as for me and my house... We, together, will serve the Lord. You see, because Joshua knew that if the faith of the children of Israel was going to carry them forward and keep them in the promised land and keep them in the will of God, that it would be up to the homes. It would be up to the daddies. It would be up to the mamas. It would be up to the paternal choice of saying, I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you have your little six-year-old opinion. I don't care if as a three-year-old you get uncomfortable or you this or that. I don't care. I can't care. I have to care more about your eternity. I have to care more about your relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to care more about you serving the Lord faithfully, 
I've got to make the decision that I'm not going to plug you in to a system that is set to program you to do everything contrary to God. As Brother Ed touched on this morning, the school system, and I understand some kids go to public school and some kids need to go to public school and have to go to public school, this, that, or the other. But if you have the choice, if you have the decision, why plug them into a system that is perpetually, intentionally trying to steer your children away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why go that direction when you don't have to, when He's promised to be faithful to you? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Does that mean they're going to be perfect just because you take them to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Nope. Does that mean that they're going to grow up and serve God just because you serve God all your life? Nope. There's an important part here. He didn't say, as for me and my house, we will serve the church. It's going to get quiet. As for me and my house, we will check the box. As for me and my house, we will make the preacher happy. As for me and my house, we will make the the boards happy. As for me and my house, we will make sure we're at every service. As for me and my house, we will make sure we will serve the Lord. Some of you take your kids to the ball field. Are you serving the Lord at the ball field? God needs Christians at the ball field. Somebody say amen. When that one dad's chewing his little boy, little girl out, thinking that he's out there instead of the kid and trying to relive his glory days through his children, okay? There may need to be a Christian standing there going, hey, good job, Johnny. I love you. I'm praying for you. Hit that ball. Encouraging them, being loving. God needs Christians at the ball field too. You ought to prioritize going to church. I understand that. But God needs Christians to serve the Lord everywhere. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They aren't going to see the right choice as we close. What's the choice? Serve the little G-gods, entertainment, music, wealth, career. What's the choice? Are they going to serve the little G God? They're not going to find the right choice. We're seeing, Brother Levi, myself, anybody who works with young people, anybody who works with the generation that's coming up and they've had a technological device in their hands since they were three and four years old. We're seeing searching. Searching. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing a generation looking for something that is real, looking for something that is true, looking for something that is authentic, looking for something that is not fake, not phony. They are not going to find it on Fox News. They are not going to find it on CNN. They are not going to find it in Washington. They are not going to find it in Hollywood. They're not going to find it in the boardroom. They're not going to find it in their five-car garage. They're not going to find it in their million-dollar mansion. The only place they're going to find something real, something true, something holy, something pure is in the local New Testament home. If you thought I was going to say local New Testament church, you were close. But a church is only as spiritual, is only as faithful, is only as mighty as its homes are. Joshua, as we close, Miss Joy and Brother Harold, you can go ahead and come this way. Joshua told the people of Israel, choose. Choose. Maybe somebody... And here has some grandbabies they need to make a choice for. Have some kids they need to make a choice for. Plans to have a family. Plans to grow. Plans to be a leader. Plans to be a teacher. Plans to be a coach. Plans to be this or that or the other. Choose. It's going to be a daily choice. Maybe as they play, you might want to come to the altar and just make a choice. Maybe make it again when you wake up. 
and the next day, and the next day. Choose. Is Jesus in your home? Is Jesus in your heart? Some of you, that's the first choice you need to make. I choose Jesus. Let's pray. After I pray, we can sing. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Joshua. Thank you for what you did in his life. God, thank you so much that we have choice. That you don't have an army of robots. You don't have a servitude of mind slaves. But we have the ability to choose right, choose wrong, choose to serve you each and every day. God, I pray that as we go our separate ways tonight, that we go making a choice to serve the Lord. Not for our generation, not for the things in the past, but for the next generation. So they may look to see a church that is holy and upright. Homes that have made the choice to serve the Lord. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.